Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Takes a shot, runs into the box, shot, score! It's time for Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound, score! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Here's Jason Longshore. Welcome in. It is a special edition of Atlanta Soccer Tonight. We like to throw some extra interviews here at Off the Woodwork, and this one felt like it needed the full intro. I'm Jason Longshore, and I had the privilege to be joined by Gabriel Chapman this week, live from Australia as he has been at the World Cup. Gabriel is a former local coach. He's coached in local high school. I met him when he was coaching at Oglethorpe University, one of the assistants there. And when he left, he wanted to explore the player agency world. And after getting into it, he specialized on the women's side. He's going to tell you his story here in just a bit, but he is a very unique person in my mind to talk about what happened with the U.S. women's national team, what the landscape is in terms of future development for the program, what the landscape is worldwide, what the competition looks like for the U.S. women's national team. I'm sure it's not the first conversation I'm going to have with Gabriel about this, but here is our conversation from this week after the U.S. women's national team was eliminated from the World Cup about the present and about the potential future. Here's our conversation. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I coached at a variety of levels, high school, uh, club in Atlanta, um, college at Oglethorpe University, uh, you know, for about 15 years and was able to see a lot and then had an opportunity to move into the agency world on the men's side before deciding to focus on women and, um, you know, have through my coaching career and as well as the, the uh, work that I'm doing right now, I've spent a lot of time like throughout the world. And, um, you know, one of the things 
that I've had the opportunity to do in the last couple of years is, is visit literally over probably over 200, 220 clubs uh, th across the world, many of those in Europe, um, United States, Australia, uh, Central America, uh, a couple of other places, um, and to speak to players, speak to coaches, speak to sporting directors in all of those places. So it's definitely, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people who do the work that I do now have a legal background, but I think the, the coaching background that I have is kind of giving me a unique perspective to, to learn and to talk to those people. How is the, the growth of the women's game in the agency space from a, a professional standpoint? How is, how have you seen that change even before you kind of went into this world and now being at a, a world cup and um, obviously looking at, at clients and potential clients just it, it feels like it's changed so fast that we haven't even really quantified how much it's changed to be candid with you i think that is such a good point um i don't know where you would draw a line but i feel like the last three to four years um maybe maybe covid and then will be like the divider um or maybe the 2019 world cup but there's there's definitely been such an acceleration that i think um you know, I find people who maybe had experience playing, uh, for example, in Europe or even the United States back in the teens, um, 2015, 16, 17, are talking uh, about things as if uh, that reality still applies. But it has changed so much. I mean, um, you know, people might not realize that uh, many of the leagues have not did not professionalize even in places like Spain until the last two or three years. So that certainly brought a lot of new people, you know, back to your question about the agencies uh, into that space. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many players, there's so many people, there's so many opportunities opening up and things are changing so fast. I think, you know, to your point about quantifying it, it really is a challenge. I mean, I, it's 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 a challenge and every single day it's changing and the picture is changing and trying to make sense of it is 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 really a, a, a hard work so one of the big points i've been trying to make with the the u.s crashing out in the round of 16 to sweden i had that predicted as my semi-final and it happened in the round of 16 um one of the things I've been trying to, to, to talk about is how many players worldwide are professionals. And, and it's been very recent that you've seen this, like you just said, but they're professionals and they're trained in a professional environment rather than so many of our players coming through that college route and then trying to catch up to the professional development at a later age. Is that even changeable with where U.S. soccer is in your mind right now? Um, I think that's a really big point. Um, the college game has been fantastic. Our national team has been built on it on the women's side. But in the end, it, it truly is, you know, if you don't make the NCAA tournament, your season is three months and a week. Um, the level is great. The facilities are great. Many of the coaches are world class. Uh, there's so many great things you can speak to. But the reality is, that demographic, uh, the college age demographic, 17 to 22, and much of the world, more of the world each day is um, is trained, uh, you know, year round. Um, 
it's hard to make sense of everything. I mean, Germany is a country that I think uh, has a great, they obviously have a great heritage. Um, they obviously bring a lot of, they br or not obviously, but they bring a lot of young women into a year round environments. Um, and yet they crashed out. So I, I think there's a, they crashed out of this tournament early. I think there's a couple of things. I think there's a real need for year round environments for our young women. Um, I think we are one of a uh, few major soccer countries that don't have a second division or a third division, you know, take England, for example, there's so many women, young women being pulled into that championship level or even the third or fourth tier. So I think we really need that. But I also think the, you know, there was an article I read where a little quote that I pulled out about reality versus Instagram. And I think if, if I could, you know, hammer home something uh, that I think would be helpful for people to understand while things have improved and while the environment is professional, more, more leagues are professionalized. That doesn't necessarily mean the, re the re resources are there. They've certainly gotten better, but most women don't make a lot of money. And I think what has happened, my takeaway as of today, which is again, trying to make sense of everything while countries like Germany, United States have invested and you look on Instagram and things look amazing. We still haven't invested enough. And so these countries so um countries which seem to come out of nowhere like a nigeria or jamaica or colombia they've invested as well and there's not a huge differential um and a lot of women in those uh you know colombia for example they're they've got a vibrant league and they're playing getting exposed to year-round soccer so is it changeable for u.s soccer um i think i think it's a very complicated thing um u.s soccer has not uh seemed especially since covid to want to uh dictate what youth clubs do which i think there's probably a real need there um one of the things we've highlighted that could be a great change i think uh is year-round division one soccer um it's something that's been talked about quite a bit on the men's side um again that that doesn't really have to do with u.s soccer but I think there's got to be more pathways for those women um, that are that are 17 and up to keep us competitive. I think we we do enough work and we have an, an intense enough uh, younger system that we're able to, to develop enough gems. Um, but uh, but I I think at that crucial age, uh, 17, 18, we've we've got to we've got to do better. Yeah, it feels like where the the gap has narrowed and the U S had a head start and there were others who were in that ballpark with them, but the gap is narrowed with the second tier beyond just the, the title contenders in this tournament. And maybe even the, the biggest narrowing of the gap has been the, the, the debutantes in the tournament who mm -hmm. for the most part have all had big time moments here in this yeah. world cup. What has been your read of just the overall level of this tournament? It's been unpredictable. You can get into the, the odds in games, and there's been more upsets than we've ever seen. But the overall level, how much has it passed the, the 2019 edition, for example? Uh, man, I think le leaps and bounds. Um, you know, I think there's still, like, if you look at the te overall technical and tactical level, I think there's room for growth, even at the top. 
but I think you can see that the the gap has has closed so much. The tactics employed by you know teams like Jamaica that didn't concede a, a goal um, and and the until until getting knocked out by Colombia, you know that wasn't parking the bus. Uh, there was some parking the bus involved, but there was a lot of tactics, uh, really well organized defense, uh, making forays out into the the opponent's half. I mean the tactical sophistication was much better and the players that were they're working with are, are much higher level. I mean, I think you can see it everywhere. Even, even Morocco, you know, was on the wrong side of a couple results, um, but showed enough sophistication and physical and technical level to get results against good teams, you know, to make it into the knockout phase. So I think it's, it's really night, night and day. Um, on a, on a technical level, tactical level, and even a physical athletic level. So with the U S where they are, and, and we don't have to break down Zlatko Andonovsky's performance. Uh, it sounds like there will be an assessment and there very well could be a change, which is normal after world cup cycles don't end where you expect them to end. You know, what are the, the big things in, in your mind on that checklist for U.S. soccer as they prepare for this next wave of and potentially a home World Cup in 27, a home Olympics in 28, where now the results aren't going to be as easy to come by and they have to do something to improve? What are the main focus areas in your mind? Man, that's a that's a tough one. You know, when I when I really think about what what would it, what would an ideal setup look like? Uh, not 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 necessarily for U.S. soccer, but for our country. I think, um, and what's what's doable in the next five to ten years? I mean, I think the youth situation. There's a lot of great clubs um, doing with great coaches, building incredible players developing great players, but I, I think that's just such a tricky space to get into um, for U.S. soccer or anybody uh, and to change things quickly. But things that I think um, are happening that, that can be uh, given um, uh, more impetus uh, are, you know, it's great to see that there are more leagues coming in, at the USL Super League, WISL, WPSL, um, I think going back to my previous point, it really takes a village. So I think it would be good for everyone to realize even NWSL clubs that, you know, are selling out stadiums and uh, have a lot of talented players. They really need your support because even at that level, um, they don't have the staff and scouts and uh, support that you might find in a men's club. So I think a big thing, you know, everybody's got to do their part. If you love women's soccer, you've got to support your local team. Um, and if you're, and if you are uh, involved in the game, I think honestly, things like um, year-round Division One soccer, um, the message that our very, very best women don't have to give up. Uh, their education if they do decide to play pro because I do think our young women need to more of them need to choose pro uh, to go year round I mean there's there's plenty of women across the world studying uh, while they play professionally and I think that's a path that more of our young women are, are going to have to take 
Um, so I think from a U.S. soccer, it would be those kind of things. What's the pathway look like? Can we encourage and develop um, more of those things? And, and as one last point there, I think, you, you know, you look at the academies at, uh, in the WSL in England, um, we don't have that now. So I think we're really behind in that regard. And I'm very sympathetic to NWSL clubs uh, having to take on a new cost center and, and pay for uh, all the costs that are associated with an academy would be very difficult. But I think it's absolutely the thing that's got to happen. So is that a place where U.S. soccer can step in and support putting money toward NWSL clubs or USL Super League clubs to build out full academies um, with full-time coaches and covering the um, the costs for the players and travel. I mean, I think that would be huge um, and, and it's really necessary. So I don't know. There's It's a really complicated question. I think it involves um, so many people and uh, I'm really hopeful that we can start making progress in that direction soon because I think we, we really, there's no time to lose. Yeah. See, this is why I wanted to talk to you because I, I feel like the conversation here about the, the overall performance of the team in the tournament has been about substitutions. It's been about mentality, two things that I think were overrated. I think more than anything, yeah. it comes down to, yeah, it just it felt like it was an easy thing to pick at. But to me, like in the past, if you have a team that's as talented as the U.S. and they don't finish their chances like they didn't in this tournament, they still had such a talent gap that they were able to find ways to get results. In this tournament, that gap is gone. It was gone against the Netherlands. It was gone against Sweden. Honestly, I think everybody overlooked Portugal and, and their dramatic improvement. And there wasn't really much of a gap there. If the U.S. converts their chances, and we've seen this in men's World Cups as well in the past, where a favorite comes in, the, the goals aren't falling for them, and they get knocked out earlier than you think, it feels like this tournament has just gotten to that point that there's there's too much quality, there's too much parity around the world now that even good teams have to do the right things, maybe get a little bit lucky in tournaments to advance because they, they can't out-talent people anymore. Man, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, those things, you know, talking about substitutions, uh, different things we could have done, you know, there's no doubt that there's a conversation there. Um, and this U.S. team could have potentially won the whole thing, um, getting all those details right. But I think what's more important is, you know, what do, what do we need to do to be competitive in 10 years? Um, and I think... It's it's this team that was out on the pitch uh, the, during this tournament. There was, in my mind, no lack of effort um, or commitment. Um, and I I think too often we kind of look at those things and and question people's effort. And it's more than that. It's you can work as hard as you you want, but if you don't have the the tactical setup right, if uh, you know you know and and if you're not, if you haven't built those things, then all the effort in the world is not going to make a difference. So to me, there was no, no lack of effort or mentality. It was more, you know, we didn't know how to 
unpick the lock of this tournament in a broad sense. And I think the most important question is, you know, what what does success look like in the future and how do we build it? Um, I don't think there's much, you know, I think it's kind of wasted time to try to criticize this specific team. I th- maybe there's something in there, but I think it's bigger. You know, what, what do we have to do uh, globally within this country to improve things so that we're putting the right structures and building the right type of players? You know, one thing that I would share uh, on this point, Jason, is I've traveled – much of my travel has been in Europe and I can tell you that 100%, not, not 90%, but a hundred percent of every coach sporting director that I've spoken with will tell me, number one, we love Americans. They're American women are extremely hardworking. They tend to be very athletic. They're committed. They're professional. They train hard, um, strong mentalities, but the thing that they, to a person, will point out on the flip side is that tactically they don't have the answers. They're, they're really behind tactically. So yep, 100%. When, a, when a player arrives in that environment, um, they're able to, to work with all the other things they have and then bring them along tactically, you know, and on the flip side of that coin, I think if we can create those environments and for a woman who's 18, 19, 20 right now, 17, if they can get in an environment like that, it can absolutely be such an incredible combination. So if I'm advising a woman that's 20 about their career and they're kind of right on the bubble of the NWSL, I'm saying, hey, why don't you go somewhere where you're going to play and learn tactics uh, and, and really push your career forward? And so how do we create that here in the States? Because we have so many things right, even now today in this you know, I know we're all upset, but there's so many aspects of what we do that's right, but we've got to get this tactical part. Um, how do we build more of our young women to be prepared, to be sophisticated, to change uh, systems during the middle of a game, uh, to understand uh, cues? You know, how do we do that better? So we're going to have to to keep checking in on this progress because it's not going to get solved by us tonight. It's not going to get solved <laughs> in the next year. It's going to be a long process. I definitely want to continue this conversation. But to finish this up, let's. I'd love to hear your thoughts on who you think is going to get to the final, who you think is going to win this tournament, because it feels like, honestly, the final eight teams – it's not easy to eliminate any of them in my mind. It's been such a wide open tournament, such a great advertisement for the women's game. Man, I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I love how Spain play and I, I also love how England plays despite this, you know, the previous result versus Nigeria. My money would be on England. Uh, I just think they've got a really quality team. And I think in Serena Vigman, they've got a coach um, again, I don't think she did a great job in Nigeria, but I think they just got, they've got something special, uh, and when push comes to shove, I think they'll, they'll find a way to get over the top. Um, and, and, you know, I might be totally wrong about this, Jason, but I, I look at what they're building there. I look at the amount of money, um, that's being invested and the amount of money that is being specifically invested in players at the highest level which is more than what we're doing in the NWSL. Uh, and I just, 
I see, I see, I see them being at the top and staying at the top. So, man, anybody could win, like you say. Uh, but that would be that would be my pick. How about you? That's kind of where I am. Although the Nigeria match definitely, <laughs> definitely. Maybe maybe double think that and missing Lauren James as well. So I don't know. I love the the Spanish team. I love their style of play uh, just in general across the men and, and the women. And honestly, calling games here in Atlanta, Georgia State, with so many Spanish players at, at Georgia State, it, it's just it's been very cool to see that evolution. They stand out when they play other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm rooting for them probably the most because of the style. Uh, Japan has been a monster though in this tournament and I I can't wait to see if we get a rematch of Spain and Japan in, I guess that would be a semifinal. uh, Spain can get some revenge. So I was trying to follow the U S in this tournament. So I've got tickets to the Spain game tomorrow and then potentially that Spain Japan matchup. um, And it would be so compelling if they play again to kind of see how, how Spain tweaks uh, their approach and whether Japan looks to, you know, counter whatever they think Spain's going to do. But I but you know, back to the whole uh, heart of this conversation, it's it's truly fascinating. I mean, I think that so many of these teams have a, sh- a real shot uh, at winning the whole thing and and that we're asking so many questions and really don't have the answers. It's it's incredible. Can't thank Gabriel enough for taking some time out of his World Cup journeys to speak about the women's game from a very different perspective than you might typically hear. Please make sure that if you're wanting to learn a little bit more about what Gabriel's up to and and maybe a little bit more about his mindset in what he does, go visit Inspired11. That's the name of his agency, and you can find more about it at inspiredxi.com. You can also find it on all your social media platforms. We're definitely going to check in with Gabriel because I think now after this World Cup, we need to have more conversations about the women's game in different ways than we have before. I think the, the level of competition, as we've said throughout this last month, is higher than it's ever been before. But there's also greater opportunity for the women's game than ever before as a revenue generator, as a opportunity for a career and not just on the field either. There are so many different things that are going to look so different in four more years when the next world cup is being held. And it might be held in the United States. And there's a very good chance that games might be held in Atlanta. If that's the case, This is a very important time for the future of women's soccer worldwide, and we're going to try to continue that conversation here on Off the Woodwork on Atlanta Soccer tonight and in all of the different platforms that we're working on. Thank you again to Gabriel Chapman. Thanks to all of you who listened, and thank you for listening throughout this month. We're one of the only radio stations in in the United States to be providing not just regular soccer content, but specifically soccer content around the women's game. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully you've learned a little bit. I know I have over the last month and can't wait to talk about it more with you. Thanks for hanging out with us for another special edition of Atlanta Soccer Tonight. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.